Up next will be point and click in just one second. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, Bob. Good evening, everybody. Well, it's good to have you back. Um, a lot of stuff has happened uh, since you were oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I didn't read about it on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think you'll read about it on Facebook much this week. <laughs> about things that are happening, except for what's happening to Facebook. I, I know we don't want to get... I don't know how much our listeners are avid Facebook fans. I know a lot of people actually do a lot of their business over Facebook. They get their business contacts and job leads and um, commissions and sales and things over the Facebook platform. But they've been having some trouble with their the social media, the social side of their media equation. Uh-oh, check my audio devices. Yeah, we seem to be having a problem with our connection. Uh, Jim's going to call in. Yeah. You got um, Jim here. Oh, Jim? Yes, sir. Oh, wow. Okay, it came, that was confusing. It came through on line one. So this is... Uh, yeah, I tried the VIP number, but it didn't answer, so oh. I called the main studio number. Oh, you know what? I bet you the VIP line was ringing in Philo. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there you go. Well, this, folks, is the... One of the things that comes back and, and bites you now and then when you are doing shows in a virtual manner, as we are. Bob is in the Ukiah studio, and I am at my house at home. And that's how we've been doing point and click since, oh, April or so of last year. But um, And it's worked perfectly. But nobody, yep. no batter bats a thousand. <laughs> so... No, and maybe we'll have a story about Zoom on the, the next show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe there's a Zoom outage going on. <laughs> yeah, it was weird because I had a couple callers call in and say they could hear me perfectly, and, and I, don't know what, I don't know what happened because uh, Zoom kept telling me that it lost my microphone, so you couldn't hear me, and I couldn't exactly. hear you. Yeah, and, and, and before that happened, it got, you got progressively scratchier, so I suspect that the studio computer needs a reboot. But, uh, but hey, we're here now. Sometimes the good old-fashioned telephone works just fine. Yeah. Although you really can't call it the good old-fashioned uh, telephone when I'm using an iPhone with ear earbuds in my ears. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Anyway, it's only 10 after 7, so <laughs> we're off to a little bit of a slip. Hey, we're here. We made it work. Yeah. We're here. Thanks for enduring our technical difficulties, everybody. We are the bi-weekly computer show here on KZYX, where we answer your computer questions and take your computer uh, and bring you the latest computer and Internet news and occasionally have Zoom failures, as we did tonight. But um, we have a nice little grab bag of news items to talk about tonight. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about Facebook's newsworthy uh, week, including the whistleblower testimony that uh, that took place earlier this week, and the fact that um, Facebook, all Facebook properties, including Instagram and WhatsApp, were down for some five hours yesterday. We're not going to spend a lot of time on both of those items because it's been beaten to death in the news, And um, but we... Uh, want to at least touch on it and then we have some cool tips some cool websites that uh that bob has discovered in the last week or so um and and we want to talk about something called infinite scrolling and um uh, which in itself might be partly responsible for the demise of modern civilization <laughs> <laughs> the infinite scrolling yes as modern civilization scrolls away and at the bottom of the, exactly. at the bottom of the feed yeah. Yes. Anyway, in in, in Facebook, go ahead, Bob. Please. Well, I, I I guess the whole thing with Facebook is the uh, the the courageous woman Frances Haugen, a thirty seven year old former Facebook product manager, who worked on civic integrity issues at the company, and she has a long long history in tech companies. She's done a lot of stuff. She's not she's not just some. Um, uh, Joni come lately, uh, who is, um, 
you know, has an axe to grind about Facebook. She was there in the trenches and finally just decided that, uh, well, now, I don't know, maybe she did come in. Maybe she flew in to, to, to do this. Maybe this was her whole, whole um, you know, agenda. But I don't know. But anyway, she came forward with a lot of facts and um, emphasized that she came forward at great personal risk because she believes we still have time to act. And she actually wants Facebook to clean up its act. She she believes in the company as as a civic good, but says that basically the problem is. Uh, and she compared Facebook to tobacco companies, uh, you know, saying that um, for a certain segment of the population, it's going to be extreme harm, uh, you know, that, that up to and including uh, fatal harm. Uh, apparently, when at the height of uh, the cigarette epidemic, the tobacco companies were claiming that it, you know, it was not harmful to people, but they didn't, they repressed the fact that it was actually causing lung cancer in 10% of their customers. So you could say, well, 90%, yeah. no, only one out of 10 people will, will, will die from smoking, but that's not what civic safety and, and, you know, civic consciousness is all about. Anyway, Facebook, as expected, is lashing back, saying that you know she's uh, misleading people and that her research is not complete. But again, this has been covered, you know, up one side and down by the other by all the major news outlets, even NPR, which constantly reminds us that Facebook is a supporter of NPR, <laughs> has been getting into the, getting into the story too. So, yeah, I think you know one of the the the, the key two sentences of her testimony were at the beginning when she said, quote, I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The company's leadership knows how to f make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes. And that kind of says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of does. And uh, people that were uh, familiar with how Facebook operates were commenting that Mark Zuckerberg is interested in, in, in gadgets and techie things and going out doing power surfboarding on his vacations. And he's not all that worried about the harmful effects of Facebook. And a lot of that uh, that goes on is driven by the profit motive and by Wall Street and by the value of their stock and by how much they're willing to uh, take in profits from advertisers and yeah. the uh, the whole idea of engagement at all costs is kind of what's put everything to the point where it is today. Exactly. Yeah, and and that's really the that's really the the, the crux of the matter too is that um, and she mentioned this in her testimony that engagement on a social network and that means clicking that like button or commenting on it or sharing it. Those are all different variations of what they call engagement. And they know that negative content stokes more engagement because people are more likely to respond in some fashion if a certain post riles them up as opposed to a cat photo that makes them smile. Um, and so the algorithms, the software routines that decide what posts they put in front of your eyeballs are weighted toward that kind of content. So no, it's no wonder that it is a source of so much discord when the platform is basically designed to so yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, one of the uh, senators, this was a Senate subcommittee. I can't remember what the name of the subcommittee is, but one of the senators, apparently his office set up a mock account that was on Instagram, which is a Facebook property. Right. Uh, as a 13-year-old teenage girl and uh, this... Um, fake account that was trying to probe the behavior of the site said that you know she had a um a weight problem 
and immediately was directed to these uh, eating disorder site. You know, people that were saying, "Lose weight now." You know, get skinny. Right. What's your target right. weight? All these things that were just you know kind of shaming people who who had these kinds of issues, and um, it's not like the algorithm was comforting this person or or you know sending them cat pictures to look at they were they were just right right, right down there in the trenches with all this negative stuff to you know to to um sell more ads basically you know it's capitalism at yeah. its finest anyway right, exactly. uh, we'll, we'll probably have more to talk about this uh, in two weeks on our next show when when some things start to happen but it looks like uh, I think Facebook has finally got to the end of the cul-de-sac where all their denials and all their lobbying and all their throwing money at politicians uh, could be coming to an end maybe and they're going to actually have to do something and our political leaders are looking at um, a lot of uh, scrutiny over how they've kind of given Facebook a pass on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I think one of the encouraging things about it is that there is kind of a, a, a sense of bipartisan rage um, among the lawmakers who are in the hearings and among um, lawmakers in general. Um, it's kind of interesting how both, um, both, both sides of the aisle each take issue with the large social networks, particularly um, Facebook, with, you know, um, lawmakers on the left saying that, you know, Facebook gives a pass to disinformation and um, and conspiracy theories. And lawmakers on the right say that, um, that, you know, Facebook censors certain groups and is weighted towards certain opinions. So um, it's a rare occurrence when both sides of the aisle kind of agree on something and, and right now they seem to be agreeing that facebook is 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 broken and as a result um you know civil discourse and to a larger extent society digital uh, society at least is broken and so what will happen from all of that is anyone's guess um because it's a privately held company and right. how do they how do they regulate that um and I think one last thing on the um, and oh actually no this is a, this is actually kind of, a, kind of I'm kind of segueing to the no Facebook I was going I was going coincidentally during the yeah. whole week when this um, this whole whistleblower testimony was going on um, yesterday Facebook's properties um, including Facebook itself the Instagram photo sharing service and the WhatsApp messaging service all three were down for completely inaccessible for at least five hours worldwide. And um, that ultimately seems to have been caused by an internal configuration error um, at, uh, at, uh, um, uh, on, on Facebook's part. But their security of their data centers was so strong that the programmers couldn't even use their key cards to get into the building to, to make the necessary changes. That's um, that's really amazing. But you know what? I heard somebody commenting saying that it only takes two Facebook engineers to pull the plug on the entire operation. And they have logs for all this stuff. And I would be interested in, in knowing how, you know, if we are if we're ever have a chance of knowing exactly how all this came about. I'm wondering if Mark said, yeah, take it down for a few hours and see how they like it, you know. Nice little, so, nice little social network you got there. Nice little, uh, you know, nice little uh, beekeeping group you got there. Be a shame if something happened to it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And if you, uh, um, if you, if you paid attention to Twitter yesterday, it's kind of ironic that Facebook had to announce their outage on Twitter. On Twitter, <laughs> and then, and then the the the. the Twitter social networking team had a field day by posting from the Twitter account the phrase, hello, literally everyone. <laughs> literally everyone. Yes, hello, literally everyone. <laughs> so anyway. Um, I, I, I've seen a couple of interesting articles about the outage. You know, of course, yeah, Facebook being down meant that, you know, for five hours or so, people couldn't post conspiracy theories or cat photos or anything in between. But um, it also had a really meaningful impact on a lot of third world countries, um, specifically the outage of the WhatsApp messaging service, which is a 
hugely popular encrypted messaging service that is used by um, well by tens of millions of people, but is particularly in third world countries the only form of of distance communication that people have because it's free and it's far less available and far less expensive than things like telephone service cell service yeah oh totally yeah but um whatsapp is a is an app uh, uh for portable devices that was actually acquired by facebook and and you know and uh, woven into their uh, their product line, so it's it's one of Facebook's properties. Anyway, one of the things that Facebook is uh, is um, guilty of is promoting um, what was the word we just said it? I can't remember. Engagement, yes, engagement. Of course, engagement. Engagement yeah. means you don't want to leave the site. And one of the things that promotes engagement is this technical feature that you were going to talk about. We were going to segue into that called. Endless infinite scrolling. Infinite scrolling. Yeah. So talk about that. That's interesting. This is one of those weird little techie geeky things that I stumbled on that um when I read about it, it was like, oh yeah, this is really largely responsible for the demise of society. And that is something that is called uh, something that is in software user interface design called infinite scrolling. And anyone who has used Facebook or Instagram or even, for that matter, uh, e-commerce sites like Amazon, you know what infinite scrolling is. When you keep scrolling a page, you never really get to a bottom. There's always more content appearing, whether that's more photos on Instagram or more posts on Facebook and same thing on Twitter. And infinite scrolling is something that was invented 14 or so years ago by a, an engineer named Aza Raskin. And if you're a Mac or Apple fan going way back, you might recognize that last name. His father, Aza Raskin's father, Jeff Raskin, was the original, one of the original fathers of the Macintosh computer back in the early and mid-'80s. Yeah, and he worked, Raskin, he, he worked for Jeff Raskin, worked for Apple early on. Yeah. Yeah. And Aza Raskin is a technology uh, uh, engineer who invented a simple app feature that turned the use, I'm reading here from an article, uh, that, uh, that turned the use of social media into an addiction we all fight. His name was Aza Raskin, and now he says he's deeply sorry and feels guilty about it. And the article talks about a really interesting, makes an interesting comparison. Apparently, there was a research study done um, years ago that showed that people can be tricked into eating more soup by offering them self-refilling soup bowls. You might have heard about this. I think I even saw a video of it once where they designed this soup bowl that kind of refilled from the bottom really slowly. So it, was, it never really emptied. So those people, reading again from this article in a magazine called Supernova, those who were unknowingly eating from the bottomless bowls consumed 73% more soup than people with normal bowls, and they didn't believe that they actually had eaten more. And social networks use that same basic concept by always filling that bowl as you scroll designing apps to automatically keep you serving more and more content without asking whether or not you want to stop, just yeah. like the bottomless ball of soup. <laughs> from, from infinite bowl to infinite scroll, that's, that's too much. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I, Aza shouldn't feel bad about it because, uh, like we were talking about earlier, if you um, want to see, a, if you go to a product page and want to compare products, it's actually kind of annoying to have to get to the bottom and then you have to go to page two and page three and page 20. And how are you supposed to guess where the, you know, the, the price range you want is? If you can scroll up and down in, you know, infinitely or semi-infinitely, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to deal with uh, how you're looking for things. Yeah. 
Because yeah. I think some some search sites have infinite scroll. I think DuckDuckGo will actually load. You get to the bottom and it'll say loading more results, but you don't have to go to another uh, results page. It just continues to load. So it sure. can be it can be moderated and put to good use, but it's obviously put to um, to a more more devious uh, goal when it's done to keep people in, engaged on uh, you know. Looking, looking at just the next cat video or just the next uh, conspiracy site or whatever. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's actually kind of, I'm going to kind of keep this in the back of my brain when I am doing the infinite scroll on Instagram. I don't use Facebook that much, but, you know, as you know, Bob, I'm into photography and I like Instagram and I, I sure. have a lot of, you know, I follow a lot of you know, other photographers and, uh, and, and, and not, not to mention dogs. And, um, I'm going to kind of remind myself when I'm just sitting there wearing out my thumb doing the infinite swipe, <laughs> swiping up. Yeah. Um, that I am fall, that I'm sitting in front of that self-refilling bowl. Soup bowl, yes. And um, that's maybe a little kind of uh, a little kind of uh, seed to plant in all of our brains as we when we use these kinds of services that um, that they are they are designed to keep us eating more soup and therefore seeing more ads and engaging and doing all of those things that Facebook whistleblower um, uh, pointed out in her in her post uh, testimony earlier this week oh yeah yeah absolutely well I think it's time to leave Facebook behind and get on to uh, the uh, social not media or the social what is it <laughs> social not working sites <laughs> So, so, so not working. Yes, talk about that crazy cool calculator website. Um, be before we go to those web pages, uh, before we go to those web pages, I just briefly want to, and and we're just about down at the bottom of the hour. I want to remind people you're tuned to KZYX Philo, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, and this is Point and Click. The bi-weekly computer show with yours truly, Bob Lawton, and my radio partner of long, long standing, Jim Hyde, who is now here by phone, not Zoom. <laughs> um, let's go through those two anniversaries that are significant. Uh, one, yeah. one, especially to us Mac and Apple fans, yesterday was the 10th anniversary of the passing of the co-founder of Apple, Steve Jobs. It's hard to believe it's gone by so fast. Indeed. Amazing. And, yeah, uh, and I mean, the, to talk about someone who made a dent in the universe with, uh, with you know, with, with, with the, starting with the Apple II and then the Macintosh and then the iPod and the iPad and the iPhone. Um, all just an amazing set of, uh, set of tools. And uh, Johnny Ive, who was the designer, uh, apparently, uh, well, he wrote a... Um, I can't remember what publication he wrote this for, but it's available online. He wrote a re recollection of his time with Steve Jobs, and apparently almost every day they ate lunch together. And uh, um, Johnny Ive just really loved Steve Jobs. They, they just He had such incredible respect for his talents and his ability to... Um, you know, penetrate the the uh, the nature of these things like technology and things. You know, uh, yeah. so so uh, one of Steve Jobs' biggest fans was his designer, who took his Jobs' um, technical uh, inspirations and turned them into products that are that are um, among the best designed products for their function in, in human history. Really. When you when you think yeah. about what what they're designed to do and how well they work, people are always complaining about you know this little problem and that little problem and I can't get my device to this and do that. But the fact that you're holding or keeping in your pocket or purse something that um, could have been used to pilot a, a moon moon landing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, fifty years ago is 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 just inconceivable. I mean, and you know. Uh, I guess we can mention this when we talk about the next one, which I'm going to let you intro as soon as I finish this. Um, it's hard to, you know, it, it comes at us at a steady trickle, but uh, in the 10 years that Steve Jobs has been gone, that represents a fairly large fraction of the time that Apple has been in existence in its totality, and they've continued to innovate and bring out new products that bear that stamp of his... Uh, innovation and and uh, sense of design and and functionality so 
it's it's uh you know not every company can can uh lose their founder and and actually uh flourish to that extent yeah it's true it's absolutely true so talk about uh the uh 1996 famous first uh crawl of the web <laughs> ah yes um the uh this also was something that i uh stumbled upon during a um afternoon bout of procrastination um the internet archive i think we've talked about it on the show before archive.org has a um feature called the wayback machine that lets you if you go to archive.org you'll see a little box at the top that looks kind of like a search box that you'd see on a search engine and you can type a web address into that box and get a take a trip trip back in time to look at how that particular website looked in various permutations in the past. Um, for example, if you typed in kzyx.org, you would see a kind of a calendar-like view that would let you click on a certain date or a certain year and look and see what the um, the that website, the KZYX website, would look like um, at that particular on that date and in that year, and the founders of the Internet Archive created this Wayback Machine to preserve a medium that is inherently unpreservable. You know, web changes or websites are changing all the time, and. In that world, how do you preserve for future historians, for future researchers, for journalists, for anybody who is interested in taking a look at a site in a, at a, in a, in a, from an earlier uh, date, how do you preserve that? So they designed a way to crawl the entire web and capture the snapshots of all of the websites that they could find, and as thoroughly as they could, capturing the, the images that were on it um, and, the, and the hyperlinks on it, and then storing them. And it was 25 years ago this month, in 1996, that the Wayback Machine did its first crawl of a Internet of a World Wide Web that was way smaller than it is today. And there's a cool little movie on the Internet Archive at archive.org that um, has some video of the, the, the founders of the Internet Archive doing the first crawl and on a computer that was beige, of course, because they all were back then, and um, storing everything on a 20 gigabyte hard drive. So it was gig is, it was gigabyte, not terabyte. It was, it was. I watched it again when I saw your text. I thought, I think he said gigabyte. And I went back and yeah, it was a 20 gigabyte hard drive, which is, you know, I mean, you can't even. It's, it's hard to even buy a flash memory stick that's that small today. <laughs> right. So, and at that time, they were storing you know the vast entirety of the World Wide Web, and um, well, since then people have used the Wayback Machine. Journalists have gone back to you know you've always heard the phrase well once it on, once it's on the internet it's on the internet forever so be careful what you post and the Wayback Machine is a big reason for the, uh, that that is the case because even if you publish something on your website or your blog, and a day later you have a great regret that you decide to take it down, there's a good chance that the Wayback Machine has already crawled it and stored it. And right. journalists over the years have often used the Wayback Machine to go back and look at and research and expose posts that had been deleted by companies or politicians or whomever um over the years right um and uh you can even go back i don't remember how many of the sites that are still around today um were around in 1996 i imagine apple was and amazon was um, so you can go back and look at the um probably one if not the original 
Uh, oh, I just put in Amazon. It looks like they have 1998. Um, ah. uh, Amazon for 1998. Okay. <laughs> December 12, 1998. And sometimes the, you know, the, the pages don't exactly always display perfectly. There'll be missing images here and there, and some things don't work because web pages are complex beasts. And um, and the and the Wayback Machine isn't always able to capture everything, but um, but it's a trip. It's a, it's a really it's it's a really useful research tool, and it's also a really noble project on the um, on the on the Internet Archive, which is based in San Francisco, by the way, yes. at uh, Fort Funston. Um, that um, whose job is whose self-appointed job? It's a nonprofit organization to um, to capture and store the World Wide Web. And they also have, the, the, at archive.org, they also have a huge trove of old public domain content of all kinds. If you're into old-time radio, it's there. There are scanned copies of old magazines, lots and lots of computer magazines over the, from the, over the decades. Um, content of all kinds. So if, you, if you're ever looking for just an interesting alternative to infinite scrolling on Facebook, <laughs> go to archive.org and, um, and just kind of soak in the, soak in the past. Yeah, yeah. Uh, point and click on a website back in the late 90s, and the URL, if you want to go check it out on archive.org, was kzyx.org slash pc. And that went away, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, but but it's there on the, um, whenever I'm feeling nostalgic, I go look it up on the archive.org website. It's pretty handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so 25 years ago was when they did the first web crawl uh, with their monumental 20 gigabyte uh, <laughs> web storage. I guess they, they explained that when they filled up the 20 gigabytes, they transferred it to d data storage tapes. Uh, which hold right. a lot more, so they kept it on tapes. But now I guess it's a whole network of participating universities and institutes and all kinds of things that help help with this archiving because a lot of people want that information. The you know that's yeah, the, uh, exactly. the history of the World Wide Web. Okay, I've yeah. got I've got two quick um, discoveries that I made this week. Well, one of them was about a month ago, and I I kind of forgot about it. Then I remembered. Um, it started out when I was looking at a uh, site that has um, writing implements, and I'm a fan of theirs. I'm going to mention the name of the site, although they're not a sponsor, and I don't you know especially feel like I need to promote their business. But JetPens.com, all one word, JetPens.com. Is if, if you like, if you're a pen and pencil and, and, uh, paper geek and like that kind of, uh, medium, it's a great site to, uh, to browse around. But I was trying to compare two different sizes of daily planners that were in European or international paper sizes. One was A, uh, A5 and the other was B6, I think it was. Or B, no, A5 and B6. And I, I, you know they're not logical uh they wouldn't necessarily you wouldn't necessarily just know well would you think a5 is bigger than b6 well b6 is a bigger number is it <laughs> yeah, yeah. they have a totally weird system of of sizes but they do have one thing they figured okay. out the totally weird system of of size ah. sorry sorry oh was your radio on <laughs> Caller, could you turn down your radio, please? <laughs> I didn't turn off my radio. Oh, anyway, um, European or international standard size papers are, are proportioned uh, at a ratio of one to the square root of two. And what that gives you is if you cut one in half down the short direction, it makes two identically, identically proportioned papers. Uh, sizes you can keep on cutting them down infinitely and they'll always keep the same proportion unlike the eight and a half by 11 which doesn't turn you know turn into two uh mini eight and a half by 11s the proportion changes anyway i i just went on to to, to uh google or i did a duck duck go search and i said um uh a5 versus b6 paper or whatever it was and it took me to the site the first hit that came up was this website tall called socialcompare.com 
and it's called a collaborative comparison engine. And this site is amazing. It's loaded with tables. It's it's um, it, it's a user supported, member supported place where um, you know you have community collaboration of people with like interests. Um, and I got to compare the paper sizes in a very clever uh, JavaScripted um, visual to let you actually move the pa papers around and superimpose them on each other and, and try out the different size pages. And then it also had a little sidebar that explained exactly how the uh, page sizes were derived. But then I started looking around the site and I found another place that compares VPN servers, both premium and free, and VPN is virtual private network, which is one of the things that you can use um, if you want to uh, conceal your, your origin uh, when you're getting on the web. It's a way of increasing your privacy. But there's lots and lots of different VPN services, but they put together a table comparing VPN uh, products uh, including what protocols they use, the number of servers, the how long the initial tr free trial is, and a listing of the websites. And it was just, it's an amazing resource. But um, you can set up your own tables, and they also encourage people that um, provide products or services to uh, put their data into a standardized form. So, you know, if it's automobiles, it's, you know, I don't know, cost, mileage, weight, length, height, width, um, number of passengers, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. you can compare things in, in essentially, in essentially you can compare them on a neutral play, you know, on a, on a level playing field, not just going to a, a, a commercial site, but a site that can compare things. Um, and it seems like it's it's beginning to take off. I saw a lot of really interesting information on there. You can compare the size of an iPhone 4 to an iPad, you know, just things like that. <laughs> it's just anything you want to compare, uh, it's probably able to do that. And, again, this is one of those op opportunities for people with very specific narrow interests to get their information with a minimum amount of, of wasting time. So it's socialcompare.com. And the other site is uh, I often will go, well, if I'm going to go on a vacation out of the country, I'll go look and try to convert what dollars are in the local currency, like euros or pesos or something like that. And you have to go find a site with a, you know, a calculator converter, et cetera. But I found this other site that in a way is a lot like Social Compare. It's called Calculator Soup. Uh, calculatorsoup.com it's the home of online calculators and it's another one it's it's like a wikipedia for calculators and conversion and they have conversion calculators for everything you could possibly imagine uh, cooking computer storage density distance force height length all you know meters to feet uh, <laughs> inches to centimeters tablespoons to cubic miles whatever you want to convert They've got converters for it, but not only does it do the conversion, but it has a lot of extra features. Um, and in a lot of cases where it's a fairly technical uh, task that you're undertaking, they have a, a, a very thorough um, explanation of the principles. Like I found a page that will let you calculate the pixels per inch of of a um, computer display, if you put in the screen height, the screen white width, and the diagonal, uh, you know, the pixel width, the pixel height, it'll calculate the pixels per inch. And so you can compare a computer or other device monitors and figure it out, but it also explains how the calculations are done. But you can just type in your, you know, your, your um, 1800 by 2800 pixel monitor and it'll figure out the pixel density for you. But the other thing that I really liked, the other thing I really liked about Calculator Soup is on one page, they have what they call a basic calculator. And so this is a, a JavaScript-based, on-screen, web-based, browser-based, plain old ordinary calculator. Just a simple, you know, uh, add, subtract, multiply, and divide calculator. And 
in the past, I've always had to fire up the Calc app on Windows or the Calculator app on Mac, you know, and make a round trip between these devices if I don't have a cal you know, a desktop calculator handy. But you can just keep this in another browser tab or actually move it over in another browser window. And if you want to do things like comparison shopping or add up, uh, you know, the cost of a project or something, you can have a calculator right there and make it in your bookmarks or however you store your frequent sites and have this... Um, online basic calculator there on screen and i tried it out it works great it has a really lot of, cool. it has a lot of features calculatorsoup.com and i have to just tell one more uh one more thing i found this and this blew me away out here in the country this is going to come in handy for a lot of people you're not going to believe this jim this is a roadway fill volume calculator <laughs> You, okay. And they have a calculator for a road, a circle, or a lot, or like a parking lot. And then they have your choice of materials. And they have the um, the specifications on roadway fill materials, all the way f f from dry clay to wet dirt to broken granite to sand with gravel, to broken limestone, you plug in your fill material, you put the length of your road in feet, yards, or miles, you put the width in feet, and you put the depth in inches that you're going to be putting this material on. And then if you also want to, you can put in the price you're going to have to pay per yard or ton or whatever volume you want of the material. Um, so uh, I just for fun, I put in a 600-yard driveway that's 10 feet wide and a depth of 3 inches with um, loose gravel. And it's going to take uh, 213 tons of materials, and at $75 a yard, it's going to be $16,000.33. The roadway fill volume calculator. <laughs> I think this is going to come out <laughs> handy for a lot of people, especially if you're somebody who who, who does that for a living, you know. What an incredible well, yeah, right. asset that is. <laughs> now you know. fantastically cool. Yeah, yeah. Calculatorsoup.com, and the other site I mentioned earlier was socialcompare.com. Really handy for practical things, which is what I really like computers for. And and there's no, exactly. in, no infinite scrolling at all. They're just pages with information, <laughs> information on them. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we're going to be able to take any calls because you're calling in on the one line available and it, it might knock you off. And I don't, I'm, you know, I certainly wouldn't want to have you drop off and try to take somebody's call tonight. So we'll, we'll do calls next week and we promise we'll yeah. have everything working uh, at technological perfection. We will get to the bottom of whatever it happens tonight. Yeah. A well, well oiled Zoom machine. Yeah. Even if I have to reboot the studio PC to get it to work. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's probably what it needs. So in other news, um, you know, we've talked about uh, Microsoft Windows 11 a couple of times on the show. Microsoft announced it a few months ago. And um, just yesterday, um, the worldwide release of Windows 11 began. It's uh, Microsoft's first major operating system update in six years. And it's available as a free download for existing Windows users. Um, but it's not yet available for every compatible Windows device. So um, there are, um, and there are some features that were originally promised, like the ability to run Android mobile apps, um, aren't quite available yet either. Uh -huh. uh, it is generally getting pretty favorable um, reviews from people who have reviewers who have taken first looks at it. And um, if you just do, uh, if you go to Microsoft.com, and get you a know, search for Windows 11, you'll find a lot of resources for, um, you know, is your computer um, able to run it generally? As with new operating systems, uh, it will not run well or at all on older computers. So you want to make sure that it's, uh, um, uh, that, you're, that whatever hardware you've got is um, capable of running it. It's probably still a, a good idea to wait a while 
uh, before taking the plunge. Uh, if you buy a brand new computer anytime soon, there's a good chance that it'll have Windows 11 installed on it already, so you may not have a choice. But um, if, you've, if you're already running Windows 10 and, um, and you're happy with it, um, as we always recommend, consider waiting a little while before being the first one on your block to upgrade because there may be bugs, there may be security issues, or it might even be just that the apps, the programs, the software that you use every day might not run um, completely perfectly on the new operating system, uh, situations where the developers of the software would have to come up with an, an update. So, um, but Windows 11 is here, kind of, sort of, on some machines with most of its features, <laughs> but it's here. And um, we'll, we'll keep it posted here on Point and Click Radio as it becomes the new default operating system for uh, in the Windows world. Were there any, uh, um, like, uh, landmark uh, uh, signature features of the new release that you uh, became aware of? Um, it's got a lot of new kind of multitasking features where you can group Windows together for certain kinds of tasks. Um, it's got um, a new design that looks more modern. Um, some people would say it looks more Mac-like, although it doesn't really look like it looks like Windows, but with a little bit of a facelift. Um, it's going to have support for Android apps, um, Microsoft claims, although that's not available yet. Um, you can have multiple virtual desktops so if you, you know, want to have a separate desktop for work, a separate one for school, and a separate one for infinite scrolling, um, you can do that and switch between them. Um, this is actually a similar feature in the Mac, um, and now it's available on Windows 11. So, um, you know, there's a, a, it's, as is always the case with a new operating system, there's a whole bunch of visible features as well as some under the hood features as well so um but it's here now and it's free kind of if your computer's compatibility uh, requirements can, uh, can, can 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 make the grade yeah that's well it's interesting I know that um, didn't Apple come out with uh, the ability to run Mac or um, iOS apps on the Mac, isn't that coming up, or wasn't that something that yes. was released recently? I think that's coming out in oh, Mac OS Monterey, Monterey the that's new operating right. system that is that is due any day now. Oh, yeah, now, um, have we talked about, um, I wasn't here the last couple of shows, but um, did you talk about iOS 15? And iPad OS 15. No, and I don't think available it, now. I don't even think we've had a chance to go over the new phones and iPads and the other stuff they announced last month in their September rollout. Yeah, well, um, we'll try to get to that in the, in the next in the next show as well. Yeah, but, um, yeah. There's a new the new operating systems for the for, for Apple's mobile devices. The iPhones and iPads are um, are out, and um, as we said. Um, we recommend holding off um, at first and just making sure that uh, you know that uh, that there aren't issues and that the apps that you rely on um, are compatible with the new version. And I think with the well, the new the new Mac OS version hasn't been formally released, although the public betas have been out for a, for a bit, I believe. Uh, usually, that's the one that has the app compatibility problems, and I think that. All of the uh, all of us that have been hanging on to their ten year old version of Photoshop might be out of luck <laughs> finally or something like well, that. Well, yeah, exactly. Because uh, that is often the case. Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, you know they get you eventually. <laughs> but it was a good run. Yep. Um, and I haven't updated any of my portable devices to iOS 15 yet. I'm gonna you know I always check in with tidbits.com for um, yeah for uh, advice or or um Macintouch, one of those sites because uh, they have fewer ads and more information than a lot of the other uh, tech journals and usually they have good good advice of whether it's safe to go ahead 
uh, a lot of times it's a good idea to, to do a, um, an upgrade right away because of security issues, especially if there haven't been any negative problems. But with a, a major yeah. major feature release, it's a good idea because a lot of times you can, uh, well, I know one of the things that's changing in the in the portable versions of Safari is they've moved everything completely around. And... Uh, it's going to be uh, yeah. That's right. The whole the browser, the the location bar, you know, where you'd type the URL is like at the bottom of the screen now, or something like that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. In this case, up is down and down is up. I guess you know, for whatever <laughs> reason. That sounds about like. Yeah. For whatever reason, I don't know. Yeah. yeah we'll so. talk about those in future shows. You know, after we've had a chance to. Um, uh, after we have the confidence and the trust to install them on our own devices. Yeah. Um, at, at this point, I probably have enough things laying around that would run iOS 15. I should just go ahead and do it on one of my, you know, I'll go and pull out my iPad drawer and find one that's ready for an upgrade. There you go. There you go. Your iPad drawer. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people have phone drawers, but I seem to get a really long use out of my phones, so... I don't have a phone. A lot of people upgrade their iPhones every year just because they want the new cameras, at least. And apparently the yeah, new iPhone and, has really improved cameras and photography. There are a lot, especially the Pro, the iPhone Pro models. Um, and we'll talk about that on a, on a future show, too. You know, as, as I mentioned, I'm a big, um, obsessed amateur photographer, and I have the iPhone 11 Pro. Um, which has a fantastic camera in it. And, you know, it's just like the expense of a new phone. The, eh, yeah, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait. I'm not going to take the plunge unless I, you know, manage to drop it into a lake or run over it with my car or something like that. And the issue is forced. Um, I think I'm going to stick with my 11 for at least another year. Well, it's pretty new. My, my 7 is about due for an upgrade. That is about due for an upgrade, yes. The camera has improved greatly since then. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't have the ultra-wide. I, I would like that. But you have the ultra-wide on the 11. Yeah. So that's that's pretty handy. In the portrait mode. Yes. Okay. Um, I hear thunder. And no rain. But anyway, yeah. Um, we'll talk in two weeks. Up next will be Radiogram with Jamie Roberts. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Sorry we couldn't take any phone calls tonight. Check in with us in two weeks. Okay, good night, Jim. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, Bob. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.